y'all. Welcome back to The Drink. We are the podcast where academics of color sit around and discuss great books. Each episode features a free-flowing conversation about one book that leads us to a broader conversation about race, culture, and politics. All the things that keep us gabbing when we're hanging out in coffee shops or in each other's homes or when we are still in our own homes. Because while, again, we may be done with COVID, COVID ain't done with us. And also, today and every day, let's work to defund, dismantle, and abolish the police. Much love to everyone protesting against police violence in Akron, Ohio. I'm Anita Chikatur, the host for the show, and I teach in the Department of Educational Studies at Carleton College. Todd. My name is Todd Lawrence. I teach African-American literature and expressive culture, folklore, and cultural studies at the University of St. Thomas. Amen. No, just kidding. All right, Crystal. <laughs> My name is Inside Crystal. joke, folks. <laughs> My name is Crystal Moten, and I am a scholar of African-American women's history, and I work for a national museum in the nation's capital. Thank you so much. We are so excited today to chat about Elagosa Osunde's novel, Vagabonds. Osunde is a Nigerian writer and multidisciplinary maker who works in multiple creative forms. Their writing has appeared in multiple publications, including Paris Review, and her visual art has been in Vogue, The New York Times, and Paper Magazine. Vagabonds was named a Most Anticipated Book of the Year by The New Yorker, Entertainment Weekly, Teen Vogue, LA Times, New York Times, and Miss Magazine, among many others. And y'all, the hype is well earned. So spoiler alerts before we get started. Uh, just a reminder that when we discuss our books, we do talk about everything. As you may know, we do call ourselves the All Spoilers Collective. So consider this your perpetual, universal, all-encompassing spoiler alert. And we also wanted to add sort of a universal, all-encompassing sort of apologies if we get sort of the names wrong or if we say the names wrong. We're trying our best, y'all, but this is like an amazing, glorious novel with so many great characters. So just bear with us. All right. So, um, you know, I kind of wanted to start us off, you know, when we're talking about literature, as Todd told me, we always have to talk about genre. So we want to talk about genre, but actually it's like a really important part of getting into this book and kind of understanding this book. And, you know, so the author herself kind of talks about it as kind of linked short stories. And Crystal, before sort of we started recording, you were sort of talking about your experience with the books. I was wondering if you could just kind of share like how that was for you. Yeah, absolutely. This book was um, was was difficult for me to get into, and part of it was I, I likened it to having to you know exercise and strengthen my reading muscle um, because there were so many things, so many uh, moments, contexts, words, characters that we were being introduced to that I had to uh, I had to hold it all in my head mm -hmm. at once, and it was really really difficult. Um, and so I had to come to this book to begin again multiple times. And part of the beginning again was kind of to re to reread passages, um, to reread sentences. And you know, at the very beginning where we uh, Sunday gives us the list of definitions of vagabond. I mean. Just that I had to reread multiple times because not that I couldn't like literally compute what the words were on the page. I was just trying to think about, okay, how is this going to be applied? And I wanted to really understand it before mm -hmm. I moved on. And so, um, so yeah, I was, I was really having to, to strengthen my reading muscle, which meant approaching the text multiple times uh, over and over 
I had the same experience. I, I was reading this actually really fast um, because I was trying to get done in time to do <laughs> this recording. But I think, you know, we were talking before we started recording today. I mean, if I were going to, you know, try to teach this book or something, I would need to spend a lot more hours with it, just really studying it and trying to, you know, get a, a greater understanding of how everything connects together. But, you know, I was thinking about what you said, Crystal, about, you know, even just the um, definition of vagabonds at the beginning, like these multiple definitions. You know, there's lots of books where you, you know, the book has a theme or has a kind of a word that, um, or, you know, kind of a definition that comes back again and again in a book. And you kind of have to figure out, like, what are the different registers of that word or the meaning or whatever? And it's part of the process of the book unfolding to you. But there's something different in the fact that she gives it to us at the beginning, these multiple definitions of vagabond and also, you know, the actual quoting from, you know, the, the law, which, you know, basically made same sex uh, love and desire and relationships illegal in Nigeria. You know, so you get all this at the very beginning. So it's sort of like packing your head before you start to put other stuff in it. right? Yes. You know, and, and I think that can make it a little bit even more difficult, you know, and, and it has a ton. It has like three epigraphs, too. So it's got a lot of like prefatory material. And um, that just gives you a lot to like grapple with before you ever get in the book. Because like what you were saying, you're sort of like, well, I wonder, okay, how's this going to work once I get in the book? So you're like pre-thinking it rather than having it kind of re be revealed to you um, as you read, which I think is is a challenge. And then the last thing I was going to say is like, none of us have ever been, has any of us ever been to Lagos, Nigeria? No, I've not been to Lagos. Yeah, yeah. yeah Lagos. Yeah. So, I mean, like we don't even really... I was trying to uh, get a sense of like, what does this city look like? So, I mean, I, I got a map out and was looking at a map, you know, when they're talking about the lagoon and we're talk talking about these different areas in the city, just to try to get a sense of it in my head. But it's hard to, you know, sort of get that image or picture when you've never been there. And, and it's a book that's very much about thinking about um, Lagos as a, like, it's, it's being told by someone who knows the city very, very well. Right. And there's a familiarity for the characters and for the narr narrator and all of that, which we don't have if we haven't been there. Right. So that's kind of a challenge, too. Yeah. And I think I don't know if it's a dedication. Right. Like even the book, it says um, there are simple and good and straightforward and well-behaved people, I'm sure. This book is not a book about them. <laughs> um, yes. And that comes like before the epigraphs. And I feel like, I think it's like, actually, it is really interesting because like you're bringing up the map kind of made me think about it. in some ways, right? It is like disorienting for those of us like we're not from Nigeria, like we don't know. But in some ways, she's also trying to orient us, right? Like she's giving us these epigraphs, she's giving us these definitions. And yet it's like challenging because we're like caught up in the like cultural context and we're like, who's a, right? I was like, who's a code? <laughs> and it wasn't until after I read the book that I looked it up and I was like, oh, right. It's like it was the indigenous name basically for Legos and so just like I do think it's like interesting that it's like both she's like giving us all these ways in but also like things trip up trip us up right because we're like trying to figure out the structure and I think Todd you were saying this right so there's like culture there's like the form of the book and then I feel like there's like a third thing you were talking about I was sorry, oh the language. Just there's like so many the language yeah. exactly yeah you got this the pigeon and the the slang of the, and and that's like really it's sort of like a, there's uh it reminds me of writing or novels where the author just doesn't translate stuff for you, mm -hmm. you know? And and a lot of this, you, you just have to either figure it out, either just move over it or try to look it up and try to figure it out. And luckily, you know, you can look up a lot of stuff online to figure out what those uh, phrases might mean. But, you know, this other thing, I, I, I hope I'm not interrupting you too much, but this just struck me. When you're reading, I, I think African literature, especially, there's a kind of void 
in our minds around Africa if you grew up in the mm. United States, right? I mean, even if you're black, like I remember when I was a kid, like Africa was kind of like they didn't really like old people. They kind of didn't want to be associated with Africa. Some black, old black people did, you know. So, and then of course, culturally speaking, in the United States, there is just this kind of like imaginary void, so that we mm. don't grow up having a sense of Africa as a bunch of countries or West Africa. Like in my head, I have to go and look at a map to be reminded of what countries are next to each other in the coast of West Africa, and that Lagos is, you know, on the coast. And then what are the cities like? Most people wouldn't know any other city. Yeah. In Nigeria, yeah. Right. Yeah. They wouldn't know the the geography of Nigeria. They wouldn't know really anything about it. So she's giving us this text that is both familiar in itself and how it deals with a story about its own country and its own self, mm. but also has to do the job of for an audience that has this gap of not really knowing hardly anything about not just that country but the whole continent right? yeah, <laughs> and the yeah. history of the folks. So it's like it's got to do this big job, and so we have to do a lot of that work ourselves. And, and I, yeah. I totally agree, Todd, especially in thinking about what we know about the continent of Africa, and even excuse me, those of us who have studied a little bit about the continent of Africa, even if you even if you have right, I, I'm sure people have seen those maps, those those maps that show the real size of the continent of Africa versus the standard ones that really um, diminish its size. I think about that and I bring that up because even if you have studied Africa, Africa and its con and its people and its cultures and its languages and its terrains is so vast, right? And so I've been to Kenya, I've been to South mm -hmm. Africa, right? I've studied these places and still I have to study more about Nigerian culture and context and history. Um, and that's even with the familial connection to Nigeria. I knew a little bit about Lagos and, and Lagos is a city, but Lagos is also a state, right? And in Nigeria, there are 40 something states, right? So Lagos is in, Lagos city is in Lagos state, um, and then there's a capital of Lagos State, right? And so there's Lake people who are from Lagos are called Lagosians. And so there's just still so much to learn, even if you do, even if you weren't unexposed and encountering, then encountering vagabonds, we're encountering both a past, present and a future Lagos that we all that we have to kind of put together because they're all or Osunde is, is asking us to uh, both think about the past, think about how people are experiencing their present because of that past and then to imagine what a more beautiful and vibrant Lagos could be, right? And so it's just, it's so much to hold. And um, I feel like we are just dropped into all of this um, at once. And we do have some guides, right, to help us understand, but it's a lot to kind of like piece together. You, you made me think too about, you know, the vagabonds themselves, right? This whole no novel is about a group of people in Na Nigeria and, and Lagos who you don't really hear about, right? Because, I mean, their whole existence right. is, you know, they're, they're sort of obscured mm -hmm. by these. The, what stories we do hear about Africa. Right. These folks are not at all in that story mm -hmm. that we hear. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there was this really, I had this really great experience of reading this book of being introduced to characters which I have never really met in African literature that I have read, you know, um, and in, you know, representations of Africa that I have seen, even those by African filmmakers and African. So it kind of, um, 
Do you guys remember what was that the film that we did a review of um, with the ghosts? Atlantics, remember that? Atlantics, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, like that was that was a film that kind of like okay, here's the film, Africa, um, you know, African filmmaker that kind of like gives us this different view into the everyday life of Africans and also like this um, sense of my, you know, think about migration and all that, but the belief system and all that, I don't know. And it, and this book does something similar, but with, you know, queer folks and, and, you know, folks who are on the margins, but puts them at the center. I mean, there's not really any stories in this, in this collection or in this novel that are, that put, you know, so-called normal people, I'm doing the air quotes, <laughs> At the center, it's always the people who are vagabonds, who are marginalized, who are normalized in the sense of the storytelling, right? To me, I think that's really, really great and really fascinating in terms of it being uh, situated in a uh, West African context. Hmm. Oh, man, I have so many thoughts. Maybe I'll try to like figure out what I wanted to say. But I think to Crystal's point, I was kind of thinking about how, you know, I did look up on the map and I think in my head, you know, I've been to like Nairobi and um, Accra. And like even just like play, like big cities in India, right? Like the sort of things about just like big cities, right? That are just like organized in ways that are like chaotic just because it's like they had to be built and rebuilt to like accommodate their populations, right? That were just like growing. And I sort of think of that, you know, sort of kind of thinking about that um, and just, you know, sort of what are the like similarities and differences, but also, right? I mean, I think sort of, sort of the queer relationships right that we're like reading about here like i think it's like okay, interesting to think about this like u.s perception of like africa as, as like you know a whole country as being like way more homophobic than like the u.s well actually like when you think about like the nigerian law that was passed there were like american evangelical churches who are like financing right kind of like the sort of the push for the legislation so i do think it's like this like you know sort of double-edged sword where it's sort of like we don't hear about it but when we do hear about it we hear about it these like very like xenophobic like homophobic like tropes about right so of like what happens in Africa so I think that was like really interesting but it also made me think about so I went to see this movie called uh it was called Rafiki right and it was set in Kenya these like two queer women right and just kind of like it was like this beautiful story right and but I think it's like interesting it was like both like you know there was like this quick um not quick but there was like a moment when they almost kind of like get beaten up by like a mob right but they like escape and it was like actually like a really beautiful ending too and I, I do love the just sort of like the what you said crystal about like the past present and future but that it's like a future that's like where like marginalized folks get to win right like the vagabonds like get to be themselves and get to win and so i did love that like trajectory and i also wondered about like i did feel like it got easier to read and i don't know if it's just that i got more oriented or there were just like different kinds of stories and i think i finally realized that each of the sections start with tatafa who's like the narrator spirit and that's like more i don't know what the word is like mythical or <laughs> like i don't know if, you know but then you get into like just the stories of people and that's like much more kind of like a form or structure that was like more familiar to me. Yeah, I um, I, mean, I was just going to say in terms of uh, that, that kind of connection, thinking about for me, I also felt that as well. The story when we got to the stories of the pe people's lives that felt uh, easier to comprehend. But the the stories uh, or, or the, the passages where Tatafo was narrating, it all it almost felt kind of. um uh, scriptural like in a way like if you think about mm. uh holy holy words holy passages mm. right that's what that's the kind of 
the language it reminded me of. It's, it's kind of incomprehensible, but you know it's saying something really important, so you better pay attention and keep reading it <laughs> until you can comprehend because you're going to yeah. get a message if you do. Um, and so those, for me, those were the hard parts too. But then what I also saw is that I saw those moments interacting with the moments of of the folks and so the the, the, the folks stories illuminated some of the earlier kind of almost mm. incomprehensible spiritual text i like that yeah i think i think you're right i i i, I love that idea of spiritual or almost biblical kind of um quality to the whole collection and i think like I'm not 100% sure about this, but I mean, it kind of like there are ways that the um, structure of the novel echoes the Bible itself with kind of like a Genesis. And then um, the end is basically like Revelations, you know, like, um, you know, and there are all these uh, in the middle. There are like all these sort of stories, which you think like the Bible sort of like that. It's like a it's a it's an anthology, I guess you might say. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that I think the text sort of like mimics that. And then um, Tatapo's begins every section with a direct address to us as the audience, right? right? Like, and they're constantly talking about how they're going to tell the story or the nature of storytelling, or um, it's kind of like a meta commentary on the narrative itself, which I think is helpful looking back, but is is kind of a challenge when you don't know that's what's happening when, right. when you're first encountering it right so like i look back at some of those sections like oh that's what they were trying to tell us in that section but at the time i was reading the section i was like what are you talking about i mean i'm not really <laughs> sure what's going on and uh so i think the book is she's very conscious of the other kinds of texts that she's in, that the book is in conversation with, that the book is, you know, sort of echoing or reflecting, and it's giving us a sense of the the commentary on these folks' lives, how they're connected to those other texts, right? The Bible is the mm-hmm. basis that people are using it as the basis for, for instance, of the law in 2014, for all of this persecution of the of the vagabond folks is really going back to supposedly a reading of the Bible right. or people's sort of belief being grounded in, in this particular text. And then here's a, here's a text which is trying to liberate those folks with a kind of different version of that of that same kind of story that you get in the Bible or that same collection of stories. I was wondering if I'd like actually take a look at a couple of passages, just because I also feel like she's such a beautiful writer. And I was kind of thinking about mm-hmm. uh, sort of the... I don't know, uh, what did you call the spiritual like nature? So this is on 65. So it's the beginning of the section that's called Tatafo Manual. Okay, so it's like point three. And, and as you said, Todd, it's like, she, you know, it's like the chapter starts off by saying, here's what you need to know about the city you're dealing with. Number three, there is a city and there is spirit and the two coincide. Yes, this is about the texture of the bridge, the smell in the air, the thick noise everywhere, the inimitable attitude. But there is who's a city at the core? glow-in-the-dark something, a luminant orb at night, a maelstrom, quick sand spinning. Not a place, an idea. Not a place, an energy. There's a spirit named in its mother tongue, ruthless, faceless whirlwind dancing between land and sky. No one comes close. Ruled by a treacherous uh, trinity, Aiko, the senior trickster, the melting pot in the sun, the overseer of all, the one who watches the underside of night. Lagos, the plain mad, plain fun, plain loved, and last deity, the one with arrogance in its gate, who glimmers under strobe lights, who throws open the loudest nights. Together they are Godhead, three in one, all join, but also all divides. <laughs> See the city spirit as a simulation glitch, simulation glitching, 
mutating into hundreds of cells gathering in a sideways crowd. I like read that and I was like, what, what's happening? <laughs> you know, but it's like, I think it actually kind of all sort of makes sense, like, you know, towards mm-hmm. like the end. So I do think it's like, yeah, like, I think it's like interesting because it's also, does the last chapter also kind of end with, or the last section also end with like a list? Kind of, I guess this mm-hmm. one numbers, but I think it does. it's also yeah. like a list. So yeah, no, I think that's like very true. And also I was kind of thinking about right on number five and this one on 66 also talks about how uh, when Aiko moves into the wider world or appears notoriously in another country, other city spirits bow, you name it, Accra, Casablanca, New York, Nairobi, Harare, Cape Town, cities and spirits celebrate as they may be orange, deluded, or stupid. They know which ones can for them. And I think, mm. you know, kind of talking about like, so I, like I was also thinking about, yeah, like I think maybe that's also what I was thinking about. I've never been to this city, but also I've been to some of those other cities and kind of thinking about those like connections. Um, but Todd, I think we had also talked about, I think for both of us, and I don't know, I don't remember because we read it, but also remind us, reminded us of N.K. Jemison's The City That Became Us, right? Because like the boroughs kind of become these like avatars. But in this case, mm-hmm. it's like the avatars make the city or both. And maybe it's like a yeah. <laughs> more complex like relationship. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, the city we became is sort of uh, more of a secular um, mm. notion of the of a city with a, a city that's alive. And this right. is more of a spiritual one point. because we have yeah. these spirits or gods or, you know, these sort of deities and, of course, multiple ones. And I love, I mean, again, I love that notion that you just referenced in the text of the, you know, the city having this kind of trinity, like the sort of three the levels of being that are one and are also separate, right? And which is a kind of impossibility at the same time that it is certainly the truth, right? You know, so... And I think it does help to think about other large cities like New York City or, you know, Mumbai or whatever you you can think of, London, and how they are so complex and so complicated and just layers and layers and layers of different kinds of um, personalities and ways of being and ethnicities and histories and all that kind of stuff, you know. And this is a way of trying to get at that with this particular city that I think is really, really cool. And um, I wanted to say one other thing, you know, like, when we were, it's funny, because when we were like, pre pre discussing this book, we we're like, what we're we going to say? But now that we're talking about it, I'm like, I got lots of stuff to say now. And we seem to be doing all right. So you know, <laughs> we, we, we read before. But um, <laughs> you were talking about, you know, the beauty of the writing in this book. And I was definitely thinking about that as well. And it, you know, we talked about, you know, how the sentence, we felt that about the sentence too, how it was just like a really lovely, lovely written book. And I think this one as well. And I was thinking about, I a, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, at an event where um, a friend of mine was giving um, a lecture. His name is Nate Hill. And he wrote this book called The Knicks. And he was talking about his new book that he's um, revising right now. And he was explaining to these students in the audience that the kind of revision, like the point of revision where he is right now has to do with thinking about the language itself and sort of basically revising at the level of language and thinking about things like he was talking about semantic fields and how, you know, he was looking at words that he had chosen and seeing how he could replace a word that had a sort of narrow semantic field with a with a word that was sort of wider in its meaning that it generated. And one of the things that he said he'd like to do was to take a word and change its part of speech. So to take, for instance, a a noun and use it as a verb. And she does that in this book all the time. Um, She'll take a a noun and use it as a verb. Um, And I don't have a particular example, 
of that. But I mean, I have an example of where she's used a, a word, um, a descriptive word. Like she, this one comes to me. She calls Echo, she says that Echo has a pot belly for cruelty, which mm. I thought was like, that's such a cool way to put that because it sort of locates it in the body, right? And it mm. gives you a kind of visual visualization of what somebody like this sort of fat <laughs> kind of a powerful rich fat man who is capable of cruelty and like that's part of like how why they are fat and why they look like that right because they sort of eat everything around them and take everybody's stuff and all that and so that's not exactly an example of what well, he was talking about but it sort of yeah. gets at that like you could have just said eco is really cruel or something like that <laughs> but to say that Echo has a pot belly for cruelty. Um, I think. I mean, it's, don't they say like your instinct is like in your gut? So like it's sort of it's like implying right. that Echo's instinct is for cruelty, right? Right, right, so, absolutely. Yeah. So it gives you both like that that kind of um, sense of the meaning, and then also like a visual of the, yeah. of what it could look like. Uh, I think it just gives you like these layers of meaning and sort of expands the way that the word can mean and the way that the phrase can mean you know, which mm. I think is really great. So she does that all the time. And I think especially in the first half of the book, I mean, when you, I was halfway through the book, when you sent us a text where you were like, I, I'm not sure what this, what's going on here. I think it was you. And I, I think it was you and not Crystal, but said, I, I really like this book. And I texted something like, I think this is the best book I've read like in a long time. And at that point, that was really why I was thinking that because that language was just so rich. And she, it was really clear that she had done a lot of work in thinking around how to articulate certain ideas or to describe certain aspects of the city itself or whatever, but using this language that kind of expanded the way that you could think about it. Yeah, so I think I, I texted really, you and I was like, I was like sobbing through some of like the stories yes, and yes, I think said, it was around language. Sobbing. Um, and I guess I'm gonna maybe read one of those and hopefully not cry on the show. Um, but this is, and maybe this is like a good way for us to like segue into some. No of one the, can like, see you crying, like, so it's fine. <laughs> oh, just tears falling down my eyes. As I'm, yeah. Um, and maybe it was a way to like segue into like specific stories that we really liked as well. So the one that I wanted to talk about was called "There Is Love at Home," uh, and it starts in 193, and it's kind of the story of Divine and Daisy, who are like lovers and also like work together. And this is like the last paragraph of the story. And it says, in her anniversary story, Daisy wrote, if they say we don't exist, that they can't see us anywhere except in rotten corners and perverse bodies, how come I can see you and hold you and you're holy? How come I can love you and home you and you're there in flesh, in my mind, in my blood? How come I keep waking up in this love and feel rested? What else to do now then when a love like this finds you? What else but praise? What else but dance? And now, what else were they to do as rain beat against the window? What else but place a palm on a lover's chest saying thank you to her maker? And she says, thank you to your country. Both of them, both thanking both for making them into these people with a bold faith in the unseen, for teaching them by necessity, by difficulty, how to rebel with both faith and sight, how to exactly use their hearts and hands if one day they grew up to be women who risked their lives to stand on the horizon. Women mad enough to see and hold another woman, to love and touch another ghost. And I was like, and did that story, and I was like, stop, right? I mean, it's just like, I feel like she has these like beautiful ways in which she talks about love and desire mm -hmm. and love not mm -hmm. even meaning, you know, she has that whole, I think in another story about like how love isn't like just sex, right? It's like about these like mm -hmm. other ways. And I think this passage just about, you know, this idea of like, like I home you, which I thought was like such a beautiful way of mm -hmm. like, 
thinking about like belonging to each other and like being each other's homes because like your own home might not have been a safe space or like your own country might not be mm -hmm. a safe space. So here you are like with each other, literally like your lover's body being this like safe space. Um, yeah. That's an example of what I was just talking about to use that noun as a verb to say, I home right. you, right? Like that's, that's really great use of language. And I love that idea. I was thinking of this line. I think that Wara says to Adora when she first meets her and she says, whose amen are you? Mm. And I love that. And it's, it's kind of uh, reminds me of James Baldwin in uh I think it's in Go Tell on the Mountain where someone asks the young boy, you know, whose child are you? And he says, well, I am yours, you know? Mm. <laughs> and it's that moment of like being sort of overwhelmed by the presence of another person, right? Which makes me think of th this, another thing that you were talking about, Anita, which is this, this novel is so sensuous, but because I'm thinking, of, I gave this book to my mom to read, like, which I do most of the books that we read, right? And so then I, I hadn't read it then, and then like, I always give her a book, and I'm like, oh, oh, and this book has a lot of sex in it, but it's mostly sex with love or sex um, with a kind of like, um, what do I want to say? Like the kind of, like there's certainly like one night stands and people meet each other, you know, at the club or whatever, and they end up going home together. But it's not trite. I mean, it's not like um, trivial. It's like mm -hmm. um, an expression of each other, an expression of connection to another person, even if it's just for that night or even if it's just in that moment. It doesn't feel, you know, kind of empty, um, which is the very thing that people often say about uh, queer love and sex is that it's empty, it's not productive, mm -hmm. it's blah, 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 all these kind of things, right? And this yeah. book shows you the power of love expressed, you know, through touching, through communion, through um, joining two bodies together or three bodies together or however many bodies are in the in the equation, for example, right? I just love that, you know, and I didn't ever feel, you know, embarrassed to be reading it or, you know, like, oh my God. I mean, ooh, there is ooh. the like politician who gets his penis and nipple but that's different. by the, the robot. Uh, he's having sex with a robot, right? Like. <laughs> And he's de he's denying himself. He's denying. He's he's like, like denying who he is. Right. Smote, smote by robots. What's the word? Yeah, what yeah. What does God do yeah. to you? Like smote, smote, exactly. smote. Right. So that 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 is the exact like opposite of yeah. what you see in all these other parts of the book, where you know people are joining together in this really beautiful kind of way. You know. Um, I do think that it's like not even just like love between two people, but I was wondering, Crystal, if you want, I don't know uh, if you wanted to talk about, I think both one of our favorite stories, which is the fairy, fairy God girls, <laughs> fairy yes. God girls. Cause I think it's also like love for like a community and love for like, so, um, yeah. Do you want to yeah, say? Yeah, that one, that one, um, starts on page 79 and I, as, uh, when you asked, you know, what's our favorite story, but then also when we were kind of finding our passages, you know, I immediately went to this story and I was trying to, you know, find a passage even within this story. But the whole thing to me is just so like both the idea of it and then also um, the way it's written. Right. So thinking about these fairy god girls who are kind of looking around and surveying and and and, 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 and finding live girls, living girls who are in trouble. Right. But the way that they help them out is by sending them a book right that would that they could find connection to that they that. might find themselves in right that that, that might encourage them and so th this this whole idea of uh, books be being healing you know the, the bibliotherapy right is the 
yeah. it's, it's the it's the fancy is the fancy word for it um, for what they're doing. And so, but the passage that I really loved is at the bottom of page eighty three, and it's that last question: um, hmm. Have you ever seen furious girls gather and become unstoppable? Together, they make the holiest God you've seen. The kind young girls have deserved all along. They offer the kind of friendship cynics call madness that adults call imaginary. They make friendly planets of your mind, touch your afternoons with goodness, slide a chuckle into your belly, plant a kiss behind your ear. They tell you, look in front of you. That's what it looks like to be free. They are the lifesavers. Fairy God girls with the most magical hue of skin. Um, and so I just, oh. I just love that. So good. Yeah. Oh. So good. It's so that, good. Oh my that god. Inspired. Yes. 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 So good. Yeah. Yes. And I love yeah, no, the same reason I love that story too, right? This idea of like books and like and they also like mentioned really specific books that they're giving the girls and yeah. I was like right. and the fact that it's like they can't give it to the girl directly. directly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which also is like yeah. really interesting, right? Kind of thinking about, especially right for queer folks and like maybe uh, also like even straight women who are like in these abusive relationships, right? Like a lot of the times that help and that resources have to be given kind of subversively, right? And mm-hmm. I sort of was like, mm-hmm. you know, and even just like giving them a book rather than being like, do this, right? Right. It's kind of like, yeah. And I kind of love that like sort of play with like, you're not just telling them what to do, but you're giving them potential guide, mm-hmm. right? And like a potential guide with like another girl who maybe like them who like chose this possibility for their lives. So maybe you can think about a different possibility for your life. And I feel like, I don't know, it's such a powerful story. And I like, yeah, that was like definitely one of my favorite ones in there. Mm-hmm. Todd, did you well, have think, one you want to talk this, about? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say like, this book is going to be one of those books, right? I mean, yes. That the, yeah. yeah, that the fairy god girls will give, right? I mean, so I think, you know, I read a an interview with uh, Sunday where she talked about how important um, Toni Morrison was to her and, mm. you know, how, what a big influence she was. And of course, two of the epigraphs for this book are from Toni Morrison and they're really great. Yes. But I think you can see, I think we we're talking about this before we started recording, like the kind of important intertextuality of this book and how it is in conversation with these other books. So the books that are named in that story are mm. a book that obviously influenced Sunday. Right. And of mm. course, other folks like, like ourselves, you know, um, and I think uh, there's the, the music that's in the book, you know, there, there's yes. this constant sort of reference to music and the importance of music. You get that. And so I just think like it's in conversation with all these texts that are really important to consider in the lives, not just of queer folks, but of, you know, of all of us, I think. And, and so that's really good. But you were asking me about my favorite story. Yeah, and just a quick note, um, speaking of music, just a side note, if you all have Apple Music, Mm -hmm. um, the author actually has a playlist called Vagabounds, so go look that up if you have Apple Music, but yeah, what was your favorite story, Todd? And we'll link it, we'll link it in the episode. We'll link it, yeah. Yeah. Good, good, because there's a lot of good music. I was just listening to, um, what the the heck was the one I was just listening to that's just like, I'm looking it up on my phone again right now because it's a great song. It's called Big Booty Problem by (laughs) Full It's yeah, awesome. it's just like, it just of course that'd be your favorite one, Todd. <laughs> no, but it's like it's so good because it just it's just like this real simple beat and then the it's a woman's Tell voice us, and she Todd, just keeps going dirty. Nasty. Dirty. Nasty. But then she says, um, worthy. Every once in a while she says worthy. Mm. And it's like I'm like, Oh man, this is great. But anyway, 
That's not why somebody else meant, I was reading something, so you try to put this on. Okay. <laughs> Tell That's us your favorite story. Happened. Redeem yourself. Redeem yourself. <laughs> All right. I have I have more than one, but I think, you know, like Choose we one. were talking before, <laughs> gold is beautiful. I mean, that might be the most beautiful story in the in the book. You know, partially because, you know, it's beautiful in, you know, the writing and all of that, but also just because it's the story that's this story of acceptance and love of a, of a mother for her, for her daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, the things that the mother says, I mean, I think like we were talking to, before again, like in light of the last book that, that we read, Borderless, and that story about, you know, we, we had this whole conversation Mm-hmm. about um, parents, you know, and the sacrifices that they make and like um, the expectation of that, you know, that we owe them something, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we went through all that in the last show. And there's an element of that in this book because, you know, this persecution or this pressure or this, you know, everything that's happening to all these characters in this book who are queer or trans or whatever it is that they are, that doesn't conform to what their parents expect of them. And then you get this sense of this really powerful pressure, cultural pressure um, of expectation that would even make parents who know that it's wrong to do this do it anyway, apply that pressure, you know, transfer that pressure to their children so that they can maintain their place in with the social status or that they can, you know, maintain this kind of like, uh, you know, uh, social respect or whatever it is. And this is the one story where the mother basically says, you, you, I think the, the, the character gold is sort of asking their mother, why are you like not <laughs> uh, kicking me out of the house? Why are you accepting me? And the mother says, because who you are is between you and God. And who you are is who you are right here in front of me right now. I'm sorry, I, I'm not like reading from the book because I read it on a Kindle and it will be very, take me a long time I have to a find the for us later. Okay, yeah. so you can read that for us. But yeah, but like basically like who you are is who's before me now and I love who's before me now. It's so, so touching, you know? Even though it should be just like that, should be normal. <laughs> that should be like normal relationship between a parent and their child. But in this case, and I think we recognize that it's not just in this case; it's in other cases. It's very hard for parents not to think of their children as something that they own, or as something something that they depend on for their for the way that people see them. And in that case, they have to control them. Right. And in this case, here's a mother who's completely sort of surrendered to the um, needs and, and desires of her own child to be who she wants to be. Yeah. And I feel like actually I was rethinking sort of the relationship between fairy god girls and gold because the fairy god girls, right, it kind of starts off by saying like this one's this one's Wahala is with both parents. That girl is a rascal. And unfortunately, they don't know what to do with her. They want to well behave, right? So kind of thinking about all these parents who mm-hmm. sort of all these expectations, but then like Gold's mom is just, and I don't know, just that was like another one that I saw through, probably because I was also just thinking about all of these like anti-LGBTQ laws being passed in like Texas and Florida. Mm-hmm. And just like, I want every queer child to like have this like adult in their life who like loves them like fully and fiercely and just like would like die for them, right? Like literally her mom is like, you will, you know, like, you will see me die first before, like, I let somebody, like, harm you. And I was just like, damn, <laughs> right? And I also just think about, so the passage that I was thinking about is on 254. And this is, like, after, um, so I guess um, Gold has, like, I'm, assu- I'm assuming, like, gender-affirming surgery. And she says, after the operation, she stood at the shore of Gold's finally body and said, welcome, my daughter. 
how are you? There was still anesthesia moving through gold and waves, but she cried so hard on her mother's lap that she had to be warned by the doctor to calm down. It was that word, daughter. The word said for the first time from her mother's mouth in a hospital and made her feel born again, born correctly. Sorry, I'm like almost like crying now because I was like, right? Like that's all we all want, right? To be like seen Mm -hmm. and seen as like who we really are. And like her mother just like does that and like, you know, how amazing. But I was also thinking about your point, Todd, about, you know, like parents who like do this to their kids, even if maybe they don't want to. Um, And there was also like this point in one of the stories. And this is kind of in like a list of a bunch of stories we read after the, you know, basically the anti-gay law was passed. And it's, um, it's called... But if everybody's normal, is it then good? And then one of the stories are talking about Jade and Jade sort of like talking about her parents who like initially didn't want her to date any girl. And then they were like, well, you can date a girl, but you have to date like a gender conforming girl, right? Or like somebody who doesn't, like who could, you could like pass off as like a friend and it wouldn't be so obvious, right? That you're queer. So it's kind of think about like all the layers of that, right? It's like, hey, like you can't have a homosexual relationship at all. Then it's like, okay, maybe you can, but you still have to like, passes normal and like pass, you know, and I think I can think about parents, you know, even if maybe, maybe they aren't sort of homophobic, but just kind of thinking about what kind of like reactions they would get from like the community and from like society from like, literally, it's like they were made like these bodies and relationships were made illegal, right? And kind of what that means. But which is why I think it's like so important that like Gold's mother, like recognizes that, but it still is like, fuck society like i will protect you right and like that was just like amazing to me i totally agree and i think about um what you're just saying anita especially not for it for the context of this book right you know living in the city where the eye is always watching ahead behind left right right and so you're in this context where you know everybody's always watching everybody's always judging there's all this competition and worry and anxiety right and 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 worry and anxiety around conformity and what it means mm-hmm. to conform. And so those who are not conforming, you know, it's easy to see and then attack, right? And so Gold's mom, right, standing up for her is even all the more important, even though it should not be, it should be the norm, right? Like, but in this context, it's just like, and, and even when Gold is having a conversation with her friend and she's just like, like, I feel mm. like the other shoe is going to drop. Like, I feel like I, I'm on guard because I know that, wow, this should not, like, this should just be, I yeah. know that is this is not what usually happens. And so I have, I'm still keeping my guard up because I'm just not, I don't know yet. But by the end, we know that she's, she's secure in her, in her mom's, in her mom's love, but yeah. I mean, her friend says exactly that. Like, that was on 256. And her friend says, it shouldn't be rare. I've said back. Us being loved shouldn't be rare. What you felt today is how it should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know if you had something else about this, Todd, but I was wondering if we could maybe... Oh, actually, the other point I thought about was, like, this conformity thing. Do you guys remember that story where literally one of the women's dad makes her, like, a man's, like, skin suit? Right, yes. that he like puts on and takes off, but towards the end of the story, they can't actually take it off because like it's like it's like attaching to it's her like skin, right? It's right, like because she like... kept it on too long. Exactly. Because the part of it was that you know you you put this on so that when you go in these spaces, you can be respected, right? Because the 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 mask of the man is what's respected and listened to and commands you know people to to respond to you, but you you can't keep it on because it's toxic. Right. It's gonna kill right. you. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she, mm-hmm. she kept it on. And so it began to she like, take it off. And she could take yeah. it off because it began to mesh with her own flesh. Right, right. Mess with their own flesh. What a, what a phrase. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love, I mean, I was like, that was like really powerful too, right? I was just like, holy shit. Like, first of all, like the image of like putting on like a quote unquote, right? Like a man suit and like behaving that way. But also it was like imagining like the girlfriend trying to take it off and it was like, I don't know, molding onto the body. And it's just like this like really visceral and like, you know, sort of story. Uh, but I did want to get to the final story just because I feel like, yeah, like what do we think, right? It's called witching hours they will not depart from it and the date is december 32 (laughs) and it says like 20xx you know my first thought was like okay so having gotten through most of the book knowing that something happy was going to happen because i read the um you know i read the description of the book like okay we get through all these stories and at the end there's going to be like some sort of celebratory moment and so i was i was teeing myself up to get to the moment um and I just it was it was I appreciated the moment but I felt like in the ratio of the length of how long Mm. the moment was narrated to the rest of the book I wanted more more story around the moment I felt like it was in terms of the writing uh, it was just a little bit short and rushed through the moment um Mm as my my initial response and reaction but that that's nothing about what i thought about the content of the moment so so you felt like it was uh i mean am i getting this right that you felt like it was kind of um what's the word i want to use like that it just it goes too quickly yeah it's like very very like episodic um you move from place to place and she needs to get in all of these characters who have appeared earlier in the novel and, right. and bring them back in so you get like these sort of short bits with each one of them sort of showing up here and there exactly but maybe it's not sustained as much as you would have liked to see there you tie mm. there you there you said it just the way <laughs> what just the way it was in my brain but it didn't want to come out that way that's exactly how i felt i wish i wanted her to linger on a little bit more yeah linger yeah. in the party yes yes yeah i was also yeah. honestly really confused how it started <laughs> I wasn't sure what was happening with like brain box and like the devil. Uh, I was like, what's happening? And then like Johnny's Ooh. like digging up bodies. <laughs> like, what's happening? Well, I mean, so they got to bring everybody back who's who's dead, right? Who's dead. been killed, okay. right? So yeah, so yeah. You bring all of the people who've been killed back. I think it, you know, what again? Like when I think about it, it kind of goes along with you know notions of uh, uh, Armageddon, right? Like or of you know the end mm. times, right? Where the dead rise up and, you know, God comes back and, you know, you know, like, and then those who are um, the unjust are punished and the righteous are given their reward or whatever. And and in this case, like, you know, the, the, those uh, folks who have been killed for, you know, all these unjust reasons are raised up and mm. they have a party, <laughs> you know, and, right. and there are these different ways that uh, those Folks who are really responsible for all of this or who are embedded in the system, which, um, you know, perpetuates it, they get punished. And I think like there is there are people asking questions and saying, like, is this right? Like, should it be this way? This seems like it could be, you know, a problem. And then somebody else says, nah, like, you know, this is we should we should be, you know, sort of rewarded for all of the pain that we've been put through. And I can't really argue with that, you know, but I think, you know, I don't know if if you were thinking of this, Anita, because the devil, you know, who um, appears earlier in the novel. Right 
And then here, like it, you're, I think you're thinking like, why is the devil? I mean, this yeah. is what I was thinking. Like, why is the devil? But then I thought like, I'm not. This is totally a guess, and I'm not. This could be way left field and way wrong. But we talked about before how um, Tatafo refers to himself as the as Satan, essentially in the middle of the book. Whenever right. he has this, has um, you know, sort of second thoughts about being Echo's right hand man. And the, the the where like basically he he sees like his eyes open. There are no longer Echo's eyes, but his own eyes, and and it's very much an echo of the of the Garden of Eden, right? Gains knowledge, be able to see. He's cast out, and I think that chapter is called like Fallen, or the subtitle is Fallen. So of course, the most famous fallen angel is Satan, and so I wonder if he like in some ways is becomes the devil of like that. So I'm not really sure. But that's kind of, I was like, is that what's happening here? Is maybe that actually is like the Tafo? Uh, I'm not okay. sure. But oh, I think wait. what I would say is like the devil is not entirely bad here. No, like, no, no. I mean, he wasn't in that like other story that I was thinking about too, right. where he like basically well, here, ends mean, up killing like, yeah. Right. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Not just the story. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I was kind of thinking about, <laughs> oh yeah, it is actually in this collection that where the politician who gets literally eaten, I guess, by the robot lovers. Mm-hmm. It's also mm-hmm. here. So like the revenge and the like destruction. And, and that basically evil. like happens, though it happens partially because he's like greedy in his lust, right? Yeah. Because he mm-hmm. can see that the, the, the um, batteries are going the sex, down. Yeah, the batteries are going down on the sex robot. But then once it happens, then the um, electricity is off. So he can't like get anyone to help him, nor could they like recharge the battery. Battery. So he's like, stuck. <laughs> I mean, is, I don't you know, know, like a very imaginative death for somebody who's like clearly a total hypocrite and like passing yeah. these laws. Right? Law. It seems right. like justice, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, yeah. I do love the final word, final sentence, and it was like something that Adura had. Um, oh no, Wura, sorry, had put into one of the dresses that she makes, and it says, "If anybody deserves to live, it is in the com." Oh, sorry. If anybody deserves to live, it read in the coming light. It is us. It is us after all this dying we have done. Yeah. I'm like, yes. But yeah, yes. I mean, that's a, I hadn't thought about that, Crystal, but just that like, I would have liked this for this to be like two sections, right? Like I yeah. want to know like mm. all the lives that they lived. Yeah. And what are the possibilities of like, you know, does love change when it doesn't have to be subversive? Does love change when it doesn't, when we can like live freely and, you know, like, I don't know, just like, just like that's like an open question, right? Like for those for those of us like who right have all these like identities that are like marginalized like what is it what would it mean for us to be whatever right fill right. in the blank if right. we didn't live in you know like a racist sexist homophobic like capitalist society like what would we how would we live and love well, that, i think yes I, i'm taking a risk at responding to this question <laughs> but i Go. i mean i've been thinking about this lately from the other direction because i've been thinking about people um, you know, so there's statistics that show that, you know, homicides are going up and violence is going up and all this sort of stuff. And of course, mass shootings and basically things are really shitty and people are behaving in really terrible ways right now, more often than they have in the past. And you hear a lot of people saying like, well, why is this happening? What's the what's the answer to this? And I'm like, well, look at the world we've created. Look at the world we're living in. Right. Look at a world where basically to exist is to be in pain much right. of the time like it, and you could say well people who are wealthy you know people who are successful blah 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 they're living all right but it's kind of like mm, but what what do you have to sacrifice to get to that get to there 
Like what we see in this in this novel, that the wealthy, that the powerful, we see into their closet, right? Everybody has a closet in this book, and you might act like your closet ain't got nothing in it. But that's one thing that happens in that final section, right? Is all right. the all these skeletons come out of the closet, right? Literally, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally come out of the closet, and so I mean, I think you know maybe to think about the question that you're asking is like could could we doesn't it also make sense that we could be happy and that we could love each other and support each other and be with each other in ways that are beautiful and wonderful like we see in this book even more so if we didn't have to like live in a world in which money which this book clearly puts a, a yeah. focus on right the the, mm-hmm. the kind of way that money distorts everything and makes us act in terrible ways towards each other like that uh i forget the story it's called the one about johnny basically where he has to you know to get the job as the driver but he has to pretend like he's mute mm-hmm. and like what this basically does to him but also the stuff that the guy who has all the money is doing right. um mm-hmm. and, and and this this pressure in our relationships and this um you know this this sort of marginalization of people who don't fit in and all this kind of stuff if this stuff weren't there if, if we didn't have to deal with this on a daily basis, because I, I generally like, I love life. Life is great. I lo- you know, got friends, great life, all this kind of stuff. And also, I do not think that I'm living the life that I would want to live because I don't want to have to work like a dog every day or I don't want to have to put my dreams on hold because I can't like attain them in this particular moment. I don't want to have to, you know, live away from people that I love or what, you know, you could just sort of like, put anything in there that you want to that i think everybody is dealing with and no wonder so everyone's in pain everyone should be in counseling i think because we're (laughs) all carrying this pain and people have hurt us in these really significant ways because people have hurt that person and because people hurt that person what if we could be free from all of that I think this book is yeah. asking us to think about that, right? I mean, but I, am I, I do wrong? think that she's not saying like individual things, though, right? Like, I do love that it ends in a party that it's like a collective space of healing, right? Because right? I think a I lot of the times you. we like individualize our trauma, right? And I'm not saying no right. counseling, whatever. I go to therapy, but I'm just saying like I think it's like also I love this vision of like people coming together, you know, and then like kind of thinking about creating these spaces of like healing, which also means like we're trying to create yes. a different like a different kind of society, right? A different kind of like space right. for ourselves, and like what would that look like but also just like literally like the vagabonds like we are the majority just in terms of like numbers of people right if you think about like whatever right like queer folks and like poor folks and like people of color and women right it's just like we we are the world i'm sorry that sounds so cheesy we are the world Uh (laughs) 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 but like we are the Right. I mean, I just think it's like interesting to think about like vagabonds as being seen as like the marginalized of the minority, but actually it's like the marginalized and the majority. Right. And right. I think that's like, right. I think I, I think it's also like the ending to me also is like speaking to that. Right. That it's like a rising yes. up of the dead, but like a rising up of like revolution. Right. Also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in mm-hmm. that in the, the last section, right, it does give us a vision for what a revolution could look like. But it also I mean, she also notes that everyone who we think might be a part of the revolution may choose like there are people who may choose not to be I, rem- I remember the part where they are um you know trying to liberate the the girls who were stolen by boko haram from the stones right to get right. them to come down and some wouldn't you know um and so like you know in terms of thinking about what the what a vision for both resistance and 
rebellion could look like um, and what it would take for us to to unify us all together. And sometimes a rebellion has to go forth, even if we can't bring all of us, you know, with it. Uh, But then there there could be this possibility for for true liberation. But I do agree about kind of the, the collective and the way in which we have to do it together, right? It can't just be one of us into the sunset. <laughs> or yeah. one no, group I, of I us totally into agree. the sunset, sunset. We all dance into the sunrise. Yeah, right. All right, yeah, we're going to have to leave it there because we just are... Just like the Matrix. Out of time. <laughs> 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 so let's talk about that at another time. All right. right. <laughs> so also, just thank you, Alagosa Sunday, for writing this beautiful, beautiful book. We really appreciated being able to sort of read it and feel all our feelings. Or maybe that was just me. I don't know. All right. Let's just go around and do a quick round of whatever. Watching, eating, listening, what's bringing us joy. Um, Crystal, do you want to start us off? Todd, Todd you go. I, I was... Oh, Todd, let's okay. start us off. Todd, you go. Yes. Okay. I will start us off since Anita stole mine. And she's going to say mine. And, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> With a shout out to you. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, actually, so I'm reading uh, this um, novel. I don't think I mentioned this last show, but I'm reading a novel called Murder on the Red River by Marcy Rendon. It's a, a cash black bear mystery, and she's got um, two of these and another one that's coming out. And this is um, it's a Minnesota novel it's set in um, Minnesota up north. And this main character, um, Cash Black Bear, is this um, indigenous uh, woman who kind of like gets um, visions, but also helps to solve murders. And she's a badass. She's a badass pool player, and she likes to drink hard and play hard. And and uh, it's it's really good. She's a great great character. So I mean, cool. this is like um, you know, this is genre fiction, but it's really well written. You guys know how much genre I love genre fiction. fiction. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Actually, you know, this is this is the, and you know how much I love this stuff. I love uh, murder mysteries and uh, um, crime novels and all that kind of stuff. So this is really good. I also want to. There's two more things I want to shout out. When you mentioned the the, the um, playlist um, that we're going to link to, I definitely want to encourage people to listen to that Alice Smith song. I put a smell, on, uh, put a spell on you. Not I put a smell on you. That'd be wrong. <laughs> I put a spell on you, which is uh, the Screaming Jay Hawkins uh, song and um, Nina Simone song. Um, but there's like a video, so just search Alice Smith. I put a spell on you. There's a video on YouTube that is haunting. That's of her doing it live. It's mm. really, really great. So de- definitely do that. And then uh, my man, my nemesis, my also I admire him. Jordan Peele has a new movie coming out this month called Nope, <laughs> and I'm gonna go see it. And <laughs> then I'm gonna probably hate on it or whatever I do. I have reconsidered some of my opinions of Jordan Peele movies from the past. You know, maybe sometime in the future. I will revisit those uh, in the future, you know, on this show. Who knows? So that's it for um, me. Is the first author from Minnesota or is it just yes, Minnesota? Yes, Marcy Rendon. Oh, okay. yes. Um, and also we can link to the YouTube thing. You can also search for it, but we'll also link yes, to it. Yes, we can it, link so. to it. Yes. I All forget right. about the technological, you know, abilities we have. <laughs> All right, Crystal. On the, yes, on the on the topic of music, um, and especially on the topic of Nigerian music, if you like uh, hip hop, uh, and if you like the artist Burna Boy, he just came out with a, a new album um, called Love Damini. So check it out; it's pretty good. the uh, The album opens um, and closes with uh, Lady uh, Blacksmith Mombasa. Oh, cool. So it's so yeah. Take take a listen. Take a listen. If you yeah, like Afrobeats, well, there's a bunch of that artist songs on her playlist. Actually, that's that's the only reason I know. 
All right. So mine. So I'm going to give a shout out to Todd uh, because this is a show that he recommended and it's called The Bear and it's on Hulu and it's about this like chef who like moves back to Chicago to run his family's restaurant after his brother who used to run the restaurant dies. It is really good, but also I'm just going to warn you, which Todd did not. It's a really stressful (laughs) show to watch. I would like never survive in a restaurant kitchen for like an hour. So consider yourself warned, but also if you can like sort of, you know, deal with that, it's like, this is like the story arc is like really good. And there's so many like great characters, even though like the main lead is like a white dude, like basically like 80% of his staff are like people of color. Yeah, I know. Um, so no offense to white dudes. Doesn't um, like that so much. <laughs> really good and it's like you know it's kind of like if you're into restaurants if you're into food if you're in chicago right it's like a lot of lot of things in there that i I think it's like you know really good and it's only eight episodes so you know it's not like a huge amount of only half an hour only half hour yeah um and the other quick shout out i want to do oh yeah go ahead can i shout out my friend wallace who told who shouted the show out to me originally he's the one who told me to watch it (laughs) The community sort of like shout out line. I love it. Yeah, I'm, sorry. Um, I just, I'm interrupting your thing. I'm so sorry. No, you're good. I interrupted you. So, um, and the second thing that I want to shout out was I just finished reading Saeed Jones' memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives. And it kind of chronicles his like couple years in high school through kind of like post college and kind of focuses on like his relationship to his body and sexuality and to his mom. Another book that I like saw through parts of it's like so so good. So um, definitely recommend it. And it's like a relatively like short and quick read as well. Not that that's like, you know, a thing. But yeah, um, so our next book that we're going to be doing is Sula by Toni Morrison. And, you know, I feel like we do sort of like, we've done a lot of like new books recently. So I think this will be good to like go back and like revisit a classic. And so that'll be um, whatever. When do we do it? When do we put it out? You know, we'll take our time. It's totally fine. So you can find this podcast and this particular episode, when are we get it ready on iTunes, Stitcher, all the places that you find podcasts. Uh, please get vaccinated and boosted if you haven't been. Keep staying safe and keep holding on to hope, even though we know that times are difficult. So thanks for listening. And we're sending out big virtual hugs to all. Bye, y'all. Bye. You have been listening to another brand new episode of The Drip, recorded from St. Paul, Minneapolis, and Washington, D.C. Our show is written, produced, and directed by Anita Chikator, Crystal Moten, and myself, Todd Lawrence. We are the All Spoilers Collective. Shout out to my cousin, Lord Jordan X, from one of my hometowns, Kansas City, Missouri, for our music. And we'll be back in late August, early September with an all-new show featuring a discussion of Toni Morrison's classic novel, Sula. You don't want to miss this one. You've got plenty of time to read that before we get to it. So, till then, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>